Welcome back, my friends, to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. We're back again for another week with a wonderful teacher to hear more about the profession and dig into those tight areas and topics that don't normally get covered. Whether you're a pre-service teacher, practicing teacher, retired, a parent, someone delivering professional development to educators, this stuff is all for you. And today's episode is a particularly special one as I got to learn a bit more from a seasoned, experienced educator in gifted education and has done a lot of work for pre-service teachers in placements in their tertiary studies. She even has her own consulting firm to help parents and educators properly address the needs of gifted students. I am talking about Kintara Phillips, who is based out of the state of Victoria and had a lot to share in this episode with me about her experience across her 20-year teaching career in the subjects of English and psychology and how that experience has grown after she left teaching and still contribute to the profession in a pretty major way. Now, of particular note to any pre-service teachers listening to this episode, there's a very insightful portion that addresses the current state of placements in Victoria and other states and some of the reasons why it may feel like your placement doesn't come as fast as it probably should. We all know this has been a problem for a very long time, but after the last couple of years, there are a few more spanners in the works that could be making the placement process a little bit more difficult for you. And quite honestly, I was surprised to hear it myself. So hang around for that, listen to an experienced educator on gifted education, and you'll understand why this episode is one of my favorites already. Now we talk about courses, her consultative firm, all of that stuff is linked in the show notes if you'd like to check it as you're listening along. But otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. And I am extremely humbled to be joined by someone who is incredibly talented, multifaceted, has a wealth of experience and hopefully can give us back a lot in this episode today. I'm talking to Kintara Phillips. Nice to see you, Kintara. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good to be here. We're glad to have you. Now, you've got a, a wealth of experience that we can tap into uh, in this episode. We don't want to occupy too much of your time, so we'll talk a little bit about how you got into teaching Uh, some of your experience that led you to support pre-service teachers in tertiary, uh, as well as some of the aspects of gifted education that you you have managed to tackle during your teaching career and after it. This being the teaser for everyone listening for all the cool stuff that we're going to be covering. But uh, (laughs) I mean, I think it's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. So first off, I'd, I'd love to hear your story about teaching and how you entered the profession. Yeah, well, I um I was not one of the typical people who wanted to be a teacher my whole life. You meet people who are you ask four year olds what you want to do, and they say I want to be a teacher when I grow up, and they they know forever. I was not one of those people. So um, teaching was floated with me early in year twelve by a couple of my teachers, and my actual exact word for word response was, "But I hate children," and um, it just seemed ridiculous. I'd always wanted to be a psychologist previously that's that was that was the goal that I was working towards and then um hit VCE psychology and found it far too sciencey and not enough people 
um, and had a little bit of a crisis as, as a 17-year-old in year 12 going, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And again, this teaching thing kept coming up and I was part of people, my vintage may remember the Rocker Steadford Challenge, dance competition, um, and I was in year 12 and I was a dance captain and I there was a, a year seven boy who was in my group and he was a terrible dancer. And um, I tried everything to to fix him. You know, I, I yelled, I threatened, I begged, I put his body in the right position and said, it feels like that, just do that. I offered bribes. I, you know, I, I did all kinds of things. And, you know, he, it was, I tried to convince the head of Rocker Stepford to just like make him a tree off stage and, um, at the end of it, we performed and we were in the finals and we did it. And out of the corner of my eye on stage, I caught this one hand movement from him and it was perfection. My cold, dead heart just had a little flicker of spark. And we walked off the stage and, and this kid ran at me in the corridor and jumped into my arms in a bear hug crying and said, thank you for putting up with me. I know you hated me. I know I drove you crazy, but that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And it was at that moment my teacher, who had Clarky, like I can use that that name for her, looked at me and she said, um, you know how you feel right now? And I said, yeah, she said, it's pretty good, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's all right. And she said, that's how I feel every time one of you gets it. Don't you want to feel like that all the time? And it was at that moment that I went, she knows better than I do. And um, I, I put teaching down as a preference and I got in and, and I did it and I was lucky enough to do my final six-week teaching placement back with Clarky, um, which was incredible, the, you know, the opportunities I was given there and um, then got a job there and she was one of my mentors for the first two years of my early teaching career. And, you know, the, the short version of that story is, you know, when people say, why, why are you a teacher? My answer is Clarky. You know, she saw something that I didn't. And um, I, yeah, spent 21 years in the classroom and had so many of those moments that, that still light me up. You know, that's still the reason why. That's really cool. It's interesting to hear about you being able to go back to the person who mentored you however, for a short amount of time to get you into teaching, to then kind of nurse you into the profession that they'd recommended you to as well. I was so lucky. It was, I was, I did start somewhere else and I found it really challenging. And my, you know, my first six months, I cried every day driving home from school. Um, I thought I was terrible. I was ready to quit. I was ready to walk away from it all. And I, I rocked up at, at my old school in Clarkie's classroom and burst into tears and just said, I can't do this anymore. I'm terrible. I'm horrible. And she said, come and work here, come and work here with us and, and, and give it, give it six months and, and, and let's see. And, you know, that made all the difference. It was, I was so lucky to, to have her and, you know, the difference that, that she made. And I know other people who, who've been in her classes feel, feel the same way. And, um, there are, there are people who are in her classes now. She's still teaching. She, you know, she was Fantastic. relatively, didn't occur to me at the time when I was 17, she was relatively still quite young and um, there's not a massive age gap between us and, you know, she's still teaching um, and she quite often will will just send me a little message on social media and be like, are you sure, are you sure you're not looking for a change? Like, 
we're looking for a new head of English or we're looking for a senior English teacher or would you like to just come and have a think? And while I would love to work with her again, um, she's moved to the country and I don't know that I could do that. Yeah, it is a big change when you move out, yeah. move out rural if you've been metro for a long time. Yeah. But that's, that's a really positive story and interesting. There's, I mean, I'm not sure how far you get around social media or keep up with the media in general about teaching, but it's not often that you hear stories about uh, other teachers recommending teachers come back to the profession. Mm. These days, the conversation is more around teachers wanting to leave or the pressure and the administrative burden and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's enlightening to hear, I hope, and for anyone listening who might be reconsidering going back to their mentor or where they got their start in teaching if they they have currently left. Yeah. What are your subjects? I know you said head of English there. Yeah, so English English major, psych minor, um, but never managed to teach psychology. Um, psychology teachers are a wonderful, glorious breed who who get their their little claws in, into that psych class and no one else is allowed to have a turn. Um, but I I, I fell into literature and um, literature teachers are a little bit the same. We, we, get, we get our claws into literature and we're like, no, nobody else can have this. So I completely understand psychology teachers doing the same thing. And, and you do get to a point, particularly in subjects like that, where I just, you know, after, after, after a couple of years, the, the thought of going back in there is a little bit scary. You're like, Look, I know I could do it, but I know it would be a really steep learning curve again. Um, you know, but yeah, they're my methods, English and psych. And I'm primary trained. I did a, a primary secondary degree, but after after rounds of never step foot in a, a primary classroom with a teacher hat on. Small kids terrify me. I, I know that it's always funny because, you know, so many people are like, oh, teenagers, how can you work with teenagers? Like, ugh. It's not something I'm familiar with. <laughs> I'm the same about primary kids. I'm just like, they're so small and they're needy and they touch you and like, they have mitts and like high school kids don't want to touch me and they're funny and witty and think they're grown up and seeing through the bravado to this teenager inside who's so uncertain and unsure and just wanting to fit in while being an individual and cool is just, I just think the coolest. I think Working with teenagers is such a privilege. I just think they are some of the kindest cleverest accepting people and if we would just give them a little bit more space to to be themselves they're going to change the world because they're they're brilliant no i definitely agree i i could not do primary i was secondary trained for that very same reason i did work in a p12 school for a little while and was taught mainly seniors and um oddly my sister-in-law worked in as a prep teacher there Mm-hmm. And I would frequently wander down to her room and read to the preps, like take a book and read to the preps and like razz them all up and rile them up. And then I'd be like, okay, bye now. <laughs> oh, like the uncle that gives sugar to the, to his nephews and nieces. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which was kind of payback because she used to do that to my kids. She was the auntie that would fill them with all kinds of fun and then leave me with the with the you know, the leftovers. So I used to love going in and just like reading to the preps. They're really cute and excited, but um, mm. I do not have the energy for, for primary kids all day, every day. No, that's absolutely fair. So all that cool stuff, sounds like you've been in a diverse range of places as well. After 21 years, what made you want to leave teaching? 
it was a tricky one. It was, you know, I've 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 always been different. I've always been an outside of the box thinker. I've always um, some I'm sure some of my colleagues and former principals would say I'm a bit of a boat rocker, poke the bearer. Mm-hmm. I had one principal. I said at one point, he looked at me and he just said, "Do do you ever just think normally?" Team, word for word, I said, I, I'm a little bit of a square peg in a round hole for you, aren't I? I just, you can't quite work out how to make me fit. And he looked at me and he said, you are not a square peg. You are like some kind of dodecahedron. And I look, and wow. I said, what, multifaceted and very interesting? You're right. That's exactly what I am. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've always kind of been that teacher and, and things have Things have changed a lot in 20 years. You know, I, I look back in, at, at what we were doing 20 years ago and, and really it, it was pretty loose. We were certainly teaching and, and stuff was happening, but in terms of documentation and, you know, pinpointing and linking to the regular always, we're a bit looser on that. Mm. And I I do feel like, and I know those things had to happen. I, I completely understand why some of the things that have happened have happened, but I also feel like, a, a, a part of that for me took away some of the creativity of teaching and took away for me a lot of the instinctual teaching right. that that I had. So you felt that creep that that a lot of teachers yeah, are feeling yes. now. Yes, it, and it was it was really this idea of um, feeling like my professional knowledge, my professional experiences, my instincts on what the kids in front of me needed was kind of being really restricted and and dictated to me by people higher up who who don't know me and don't know my kids and probably haven't stepped inside a classroom since they graduated. You know, so I, I just kept almost feeling more and more suffocated by the system, essentially. You know, I love the kids. I love being in the classroom. I love teaching. I love writing curriculum. I love I even love that, like I nerd out now on aligning dot points and Gutman charts and ZPDs and like complexity of pat test questions to work out growth, like all of that stuff I nerd out on now, which 20 years ago I would have just been like, you're insane, it's not happening. But I just kept feeling like I was being more and more suffocated. You know, then people like Peter Hutton and Templestowe College appeared and, you know, I heard Peter Hutton speak and Dara School in South Australia, who caters exclusively to gifted children, became a thing. And and there was just this spark of, I'm not alone. There are other educators out there with this fire to do things differently and to, to make a difference. And, you know, like in the midst of all of this, I, I went and got a master's in, in gifted ed because that became a real area of passion. I had some kids who were clearly gifted and I had no idea what to do with them. And wanted to do some stuff and I went to the principal and said, ah, I've got all these creative, crazy ideas. And he said, where's the, where's the evidence? Where's the data? Bring me the evidence base to support this. Mm-hmm. And um, ever the overachiever, instead of just finding a couple of journal articles to support it, I embarked on a two-and-a-half-year master's degree. Right. So you did the master's to prove it to the principal? Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, my gut was right. Yeah. I was I was on the right track. I, I confirmed that for myself, which was nice. But yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I, I started to see these other people who were doing things, and I went, okay, well, I've got two options now. I, I, one is I work towards becoming a principal, and I can create the culture in one school. I can, I can make a difference in one school. Mm-hmm. 
and create a team and build an, I call it building an army of teachers around me who think like I think and who are passionate about young people and their learning and value them and respect them and all of those wonderful things. Or I can step away from the classroom and I can get my little claws into some pre-service teachers and I can sprinkle them with this idea of including children and understanding their needs and working with them for the growth and the engagement and the, you know, all of those things, you know. Um, and and that felt like a much less lonely option than being a principal. I think principals are amazing and they work incredibly hard. And I think it is po- probably one of the loneliest jobs in the world. Mm. You, you know, you're at the top and and you're there because you are an educator, because you believe in in education and in kids. And I, I reckon principals spend most of their time listening to people complain. There's an accountability. Just come to them with with complaints all the time. Mm. So I, I decided to leave the classroom. There was a sort of a whole sort of snowball of things happened, and it was it was just time. And and I I, I left, and I had committed to. Um, and well, my husband had made me to commit to a period of unschooling. He's not a teacher, but he said, I, I, I hear you and I listen to these things you say and you are really wound up and you are really stressed and you are really tired and burnt out. You need to spend some time unschooling yourself from the system so that you can rebuild yourself into the teacher that you want to be. Interesting. All right. It's a wise man for a non-educated, let's be honest. Yeah. It's handsome too. I like, I like that. Um, and Rare. Sounds very, very good to have. I mean, look, he's, he, he's a good egg. And it just happened that, you know, I, I'd always chased everything. everything. I, I saw it and I wanted it and I chased it. And I'm not scared to work hard and I'm not scared to work late for the things I want. And um, he really, he's a polar opposite. He's just like, just chill, just do your job, do a good job. And people will notice eventually and, and you'll get what's coming, good or bad. That's kind of his philosophy. And he's like, I just want you to take some time. Mm. You know, so it was hard, but I did it. I was like, and within two weeks of me walking out of the car, packing up my classroom and 20 years, if anyone cares to know, 20 years fits in a massive Toyota Hilux, a double horse float and a Hyundai i30. That's what you've unpacked from your classroom. Yes, yes. That's what I'd unpacked from, from my classroom. That's, that's how much space it took up. Wow. It was, it was a lot. And this is 20 years in the same school? No, no, across different schools. Okay. You know, it, it was collections. I'm a hoarder. I, I I found handwritten notes from my first year teaching geography because I had no idea what I was doing and I just had notes and notes and notes for myself. And the paper had yellowed and I was like, they can probably go. Like, Because it all amazed everyone. When I started teaching, my first year teaching, having a school-based laptop was an option. It was a choice. Not everyone had them. Right? I hand wrote uni assignments. They weren't all typed. I'm old. It's funny. I'm, I kind of fit. I was the transitional point where I graduated in 2006, graduated high school in 2006. I hand wrote assignments for the IT, IT subject. God, I could have taught you in year seven. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Different school. Otherwise, I probably would have recognized you. But yeah, I hand wrote essays for my IT classes. Yeah. Why would you do that? Anyway. <laughs> I know. But yeah, so I, I cleared out a lot. Mm. But that's how, that's how much 22 years of teaching kind of looks like. Um, at some point, my children, we joke, when, when I die, because we're all doing it, um, my children will un- have to tidy out this house and they will pull all of the boxes out of our attic and they will open the boxes and be like, 
Why is there a box with 578 whiteboard markers, 276 packets of post-it notes, and like all of these coloring pencils and scratch and sniff stickers? Like, what was she doing? (laughs) Because I know there's a box up there full of those things. Which is okay, because now you can use this episode as a time capsule, and we know exactly how many of those things that you had. They'll check it back and they'll be like, right, that's- That was how many. That's what she was doing. (laughs) But yeah, I- um. In this period of unschooling where I was supposed to not be doing anything, I did I did go out on lots of lunch dates with friends, which was lovely, and lots of my friends have had little babies, so I was snuggling little babies, which was great. And I got a phone call from um, a colleague, someone I'd known, who just said, hey, we need some help with pre-service teachers doing visits where I work at the uni. Uh, are you interested? Have you got some time? Are you keen? And I went, Yeah. What do I have to do? Like, what what's involved? And she said, well, you just have to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, yes. So what started as uh, a couple of hours a week supervising a couple of pre-service teachers ended up in, I mean, there, there's been weeks where I've logged 60 or 70 hours a week, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing stuff. There's there's weeks I, I log two hours a week. It's it's very, fle- you know, it's, casu- it's, it's casual. That's. The beauty and the challenge of it that um, sometimes it's really busy and sometimes it's not and, you know, I love the flexibility, I love the work and, yeah, it just kind of, it dropped in my lap and I grabbed it not knowing. I, I, I walked into my first visit full of imposter syndrome thinking, what do I know about this? What on earth am I going to offer here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do I know? And just loved it. Just loved it and it's grown. So, you know, I do do placement visits and securing placements and but I've also um, been tutoring like and, you know, running tutes for different units. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, friends say to me, you just seem so happy now. Like, do, do you love this? And I, I say to people, I love this more than I ever imagined I would and I needed this more than I ever realised. Interesting. You know, so it's I it, it my husband's philosophy of just kind of sitting back and letting the universe provide something, 100% did. Just dropped this opportunity in my lap, which I love. I love it so much. Now, there's a little bit that I'd like to unpack there. Yeah. We'll get to the gifted education stuff in a sec because that's always a point of interest. Yeah. This is probably going to be a portion for pre-service teachers as well because that was the inception of this podcast. This is really for them. But first, as a placement in the area of placement for tertiary institutions, this is often a hot button issue for any PSTs who are looking to tick that box basically. I mean, they're all keen to get in the classroom as soon as Which is can, amazing. fantastic. Yeah, the, the excitement is powerful. I think they also feel that, you know, you can only get so much theory before you have to practice some. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But it is notoriously hard sometimes to get placements and there's anxiety there and often people don't hear until very short amounts of time before they start their placement. The placement might be sometimes an hour's drive away if they even have a car. Is there any advice or any words of wisdom that you'd like to pass on to any pre-service teachers listening about those circumstances and maybe how to set them at ease a little bit? It's a really challenging time. So placements have always been tricky um, because it is. It's a big ask 
to ask a teacher to hand over their class to someone else. They don't know who they're getting. They don't get to interview you first. They don't get to find out what you're, if you're good or not. They just get someone. And sometimes it's good, sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're not. And over 20 years, I've had the full gamut in my class. So it's a big ask of teachers in regular times. What we've experienced over the last three years is so far from regular times. You know, teachers are really are tired. Teachers are feeling undervalued. Teachers are, you know, they're, they're really struggling just in general, you know. Um, and, and, you know, COVID's still out there. They, they don't know whether they, when they stick the thing up their nose in the morning, if they're positive or not. They don't know. Like, you can't even plan your, your day or your week with the certainty, well, at least I'm going to be here. The kids might not be here, but I'm going to be because you don't know. So for a lot of teachers who would normally say yes to pre-service teachers, and there's a lot out there. I always said yes. I loved having pre-service teachers. Is it more work? Yes. Does it mean sometimes it puts your whole planning schedule back? Yep. But you know what? Someone, six someones, I did six placements across my four-year undergrad, six someones let me be an inconvenience to them. Six different someones? Six different someones. Two of them in my final year let me be an inconvenience for a six solid six-week block. They just handed their classes to me for six weeks. I've always been of the opinion that it's my professional responsibility to provide that to someone else, right? Someone did it for me. So I could have this job that I love and do this work that I love. I, I need to be able to do that for someone else. And um, and there's so many teachers like me out there. And, and the reason those teachers are, are struggling to say yes at the moment is not because they don't want to or because you're an inconvenience. It's because they're scared they're going to get COVID and miss a big chunk and you're going to have a crappy placement experience. That's actually the feedback we're getting. It's not schools saying we don't want placement teachers. They're too hard or they're not good or... We don't have time for it. The feedback we're getting at our end is that they're worried that these pre-service teachers are not going to have a great placement experience because of the in in and outness. So that's part of it. So, you know, I suppose reassuring pre-service teachers who who might have missed out or might still be waiting or, or those things, it's not you, right? It's actually these highly experienced teachers who are doing the teacher thing and, and wanting the absolute best for you. Um, so yeah, it it and it is tricky. Uh, but know that the placement teams at at all of your universities are working their butts off to try and secure placements. Like we are making phone calls, we are doing visits. We are I I I go out with lollies. Like I take bags of lollies to be like, hey, do you like some of my pre-service teachers? Um, I've called friends. We had, I had a couple of students last semester who were already on a delayed graduation because of COVID and all of those things. And um, if we hadn't secured placement for them at like the, the Friday before the Monday placement started, they, um, they were really stressed, which, which makes perfect sense. And I made a couple of personal phone calls to personal friends and just went, hey, look, can, can you do me a solid? Can you can you help me out here? And we got it across the line. Like at five thirty, we on the Friday night we got stuff signed off, and those students rocked up Monday morning and and did amazingly well. 
all of those things are happening. It's not we haven't forgotten about you. We don't care. We don't like we're we're working our butts off to try and and secure these. But it it's a it's a difficult climate at the moment. So yeah, it it is really tricky. Yeah, and I think it's because that process is so closed off to PSTs. They wouldn't probably hear this at all mm. from anyone as yeah. part of that process. Even the teachers that are involved usually that can't anymore. I think that is really important message. Thank you so much for sharing that with me, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no worries. It's super important. I hear the stuff about the car and the travel distance and, and all of those things. Like as I'm looking at the list of subjects and the school contacts are, and, you know, the school said, look, we can take this many in these subject areas. I've literally got that spreadsheet open with the school details. I've got the student details open. I've got Google Maps open and I'm running like your home address to the school address through normal traffic situations, through public transport options, through how many buses or trains might you have to catch if you don't have, like I'm literally and and everyone in my team are doing those things to try and make these things work. Okay, excellent. So anyone who's in a position where they are, you know, driving an hour and a half there and back every day is probably, it's the best that you could get. We couldn't get you something closer. There's also, I mean, it's worth also talking to um, your universities if you can. Like I've been chatting with a lot of really regional schools in Victoria Mm -hmm. who would love to have pre-service teachers. They'd love for you to go down there. You know, they'd love to. I mean, even jobs there, there, there's so many targeted financial incentives. Like they're offering up to 50 grand to go for three years in Victoria. Phenomenal. You know, to go rural. We'll pay you moving costs. We'll give you $50,000 bonus across three years and we'll pay you moving costs back to the city if you're done at the end of the three. Like it's amazing. Like schools are screaming. So if if you can go regional, talk to your uni about contacting a regional school. Like do you have family that live regional or is there a group of you who you've made friends with at uni and you're like, well, what if we just went and hired an Airbnb together, you know, and, and we just had like a little kind of getaway at the same time? All of the, we need to, we need to get creative about, about finding placements. You know, um, I secured some down Gippsland Way last placement. Um, we've got, my family's got a holiday house at Inverloch. So I just went and stayed in Inverloch for a couple of nights and used that, that as a base. So regional schools want you. But you've got to be willing to go there, you know, like, and sometimes you've got to get creative about about doing that. Well, that's some great advice for PSTs, which is awesome. I love hearing that stuff because it's like it, it just pulls the veil off something that, that they don't usually get to yeah. see. Yeah. Um, another component is that gifted program stuff that you seem to do so well. Well, I, I try. <laughs> <laughs> Too modest. Imposter syndrome again. Yeah. The part of- Gifted education is sometimes overlooked in the courses, probably for the reasons that you'd imagine it is in schools as well. Like they can get up to the standard. There are students who are below standard that we need to bring up there and prioritize that over, you know, facilitating for the gifted students. Um, But we also get the message that uh, we need to be diverse with our teaching. We need to address that diversity effectively. And sometimes it can be an incredibly, incredibly hard to do and hard to practice in the course as well particularly with all the other aspects like Indigenous perspectives and all that important stuff to think of. In your professional opinion as someone who's dealt with gifted children, do you have any advice on that front for anyone who's looking at the gifted component of lessons or any teachers that have gifted students in their classes now? 
I mean, all all of you will have gifted kids in your class. That's that's an undeniable fact, right? So the definition that most state Australian state education departments use to classify gifted is Gagne's definition, which says the top ten percent. So that means in a class of 25, you've got between two and three students in that class who would meet the gifted category in one or more domains. So not always academic, right? Gagne is good in that he recognises like sport, sporting giftedness and musical giftedness and interpersonal giftedness. And, you know, so he, he acknowledges the whole range. So it's not necessarily all academics. So that's the one thing to know that it, you everyone has gifted kids in their class and in their school, right? They're there. A majority of the gifted kids, because of the bell curve, because of the way statistics work, a majority of these gifted kids are what we call our garden variety gifties, right? Their high Q isn't their IQ is high. It's in the gifted range. But they tend to manage fairly well in regular classrooms at year level with a little bit of extension, right? So you can do things like, you know, offering alternatives, looking at more higher order thinking skills. You can, you know, the typical extension stuff that we all can pull out fairly easily. One of the one of my, I suppose, my best tips with with that population is moving away from the idea of a when-then thinking. So often we we ask these kids to complete the base level. So when you've done those same questions everyone else has done, then I will let you have the extension work. And you're like, especially in high school, I don't know, more work is just not an appealing option. They're like, oh, no thanks. It's like saying if you eat your carrots, you can have your broccoli. That's right. Yeah, it's like, oh, no thanks. (laughs) I'll be right. None of those. So- you know, once you know those kids and if you're you're drawing on the data and you you know where they're at, it's okay to say to, to some of those kids, don't you worry about doing the first five questions. I want you to do the last five and then I've added these extra couple for you to push you a little bit further, right? They don't have to do, if you if you already know that they know that stuff, let it go. Um, if, you've, if you're working with, with a student in your class who seems to even be beyond, you know, just some general general stuff, it's great to find out, you know, where they're at. Has there been testing done? Have we done, you know, even if we haven't done IQ testing, which often we don't, it's super expensive. It's about $2,000. You know, lots of parents don't have that. Mm. But we do on-demand testing in schools. We do PAT testing. We do, we've got data. What is it telling you? You know, because if kids are getting 100%, it's not really telling you a lot, right? What we're looking for is where kids are in that mid mid band. So don't be scared to above level test to work out where they might need to be. And I think, like you said, very there are very few universities, you know, undergrad teaching degrees in Australia where gifted education is compulsory. Um, part of that is due to, unfortunately, there's no money in gifted ed. Schools don't benefit financially by catering for gifted children, right? It does create more work. They, they need additional resources and there is no finance for that. You don't get, there's no money. Um, unless the child is twice exceptional and they've got a, a different learning disability, which would classify them for funding. But then, of course, what most schools tend to do, because they don't know, it's not malice, but they tend to focus on the deficit mm. without seeing that while we're, while we're working on a deficit, we can also extend in the area of strength. Um, so that's one of the challenges is that there's no money in gifted ed. It's really interesting. I didn't know that. There's no money, so it's easy to, you know, leave it. Um, and there's no legal 
obligation. You know, um, the Disability Act is fantastic that it, it, it means that children with learning disabilities who need extra support are legally, rep- you know what I mean? Like there is a, yeah. we are so obligated legally there so which which is they need that which is great so yeah I think teachers I say to parents because parents of of gifted kids get often get upset you know my kid's teacher doesn't understand or they don't care or they you know teachers who blatantly go oh they're not really gifted or gifted doesn't exist or all children are gifted no they're not it's actually an official diagnosis all children are not gifted all children are not autistic all children don't have ADHD it's an official diagnosis and I say to parents Teachers don't know what they don't know, all right? And they don't know because it's not compulsory in their teacher training. You know, teachers like me who have extra knowledge in gifted ed is because I went out and sought that extra knowledge. Got a master's in it. Yeah, in a master. I mean, you don't have to do a master's. You don't have to be a stupid overachiever like me and do a whole year master's degree. There are smaller certificates. You know, um, UNSW runs a, a course called the Mini Coach. So the mini certificate of gifted education, which is a couple of hours, couple of days, I think, professional development. So you get a lot of the theory with no assessment. All right, it's great PL for teachers. They run it at UNSW. I think they run it online. Sometimes if they get enough interest, they'll send their team out to schools around Australia to run run those sessions. Fantastic. The level up from there, UNSW also run the COGE, so the Certificate of Gifted Education. So four units with assessments and you come away with the Certificate of Gifted Education and then the next level up. From that is the master's, um, which, you know, is eight units. So Monash University are also doing a lot of great work, like in Victoria with with gifted ed and and running stuff like that. But it is really one of those fields where if teachers want to know more, they kind of need to seek it out. Mm. You know, I I run some professional development. I'm actually running a session next Friday at a school. They invited me during COVID to do an online session and they've invited me back. So I'm there all day Friday running a professional development session for their new staff and their grad teachers. And then I'm going to move around the school and work with planning teams at different year levels to help, you know, build some gifted options into, into their curriculum. So there's stuff out there, but teachers do need to go and look for it. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if you had any specific tips or strategies to go about it, but it sounds like there's a lot of ways and avenues for teachers to seek that out themselves. Yeah. Look, there is stuff out there and there's no there's no one right way because, you know, if you've met one kid with special needs, whether that's what it, whatever, and you've met one, you know, yep. there, there's no real blanket rule that, that we can employ. But, you know, the more teachers can learn about this and and at least have their eyes on looking for it, yep. you know, like being aware and looking for it. And that's what I say to a lot of my pre-service teachers that I talk to. You don't need to know it all now, but you need to know that these kids are out there mm-hmm. and, you know, you've now got me as a resource. So if you, I said five, ten years, like my name makes me really easy to find. Ten years from now, you get a gift to kid and you think, oh, I don't know what to do. And you you search and you're like, hey, Kintara, I was in your class in t- 2022. You said I could reach out. What can I do? I'm on board. That's really awesome. Once a teacher, always a teacher. Once, you're in my, once you've been yeah. one of my kids, whether you're a 12-year-old kid or a 22-year-old kid, you're one of my kids. That's, that's just how it rolls. And if you don't like it, well, tough. Pick a different lecturer. <laughs> Um, well, look, that's probably a good segue to talk into your stuff then because um, you have your own consultative firm that works with schools that you just talked about. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? 
Yeah, so my teacher bestie and I um, have a little baby ed consulting firm uh, called Emergence Education where we work with um, young people, typically secondary-aged young people who are gifted and or twice exceptional. So for those who don't know, twice exceptional is gifted with a learning disability, um, so with a diagnosed disability, uh, you know, twice exceptional. They have two exceptionalities to the, the standard. And so we do, we call what we do mentoring as opposed to tutoring because it's much more holistic than just academic. We're not, we do have inquiries from parents who are like, you know, my kid's in year 12 and he's getting B pluses and I want him to get A pluses. Can you help? And I'm like, well, yeah, I can, but I'm not going to because that's not the kind of work we do. Some like, do they, do their grades improve? Yes, but not because that's what we're targeting. Their grades improve because we're nurturing the whole person to actually, you know, use their powers for good. So we do a bit of mentoring with some students, predominantly um, students who are homeschooled. So students who most of my my cohort are profoundly gifted. And by that, we're talking IQs above the 99th percentile. So very small population represented, you know, in the wild. And school just doesn't work for them. So they're homeschooled and we work, um, I work with them in a whole range of ways. Following rabbit holes, basically, that's the joy of being I suppose out of the classroom a little bit and working with these kids that everything's interest-based and we just follow where where they need to go. We we do crazy things. I've just dipped in and out of a unit about serial killers because a kid was interested in serial killers. So we we learn about timelines and geographical mapping and risk factors and statistics and forensic like psychology and all of that because that's where the interest was. We've looked at phonetics and collected voice over 200 voice clips from around the world using social media of people saying the same sentence and and plotted those on a on a world map that you can click across and hear the accents move across the world. We do lots of that kind of stuff. Um we we haven't advertised like beyond like beyond sort of word of mouth. We um we're both fully booked for mentoring sessions for term three. Um, I've got a year 12 who will graduate soon, so I, I will probably have one one place open in term four. And, yeah, we also do that professional development in schools around gifted gifted ed and really tailoring to schools what what they need. You know, we can go in and, and do audits and work out what, what they're currently doing really well and some areas they could improve or we can go and, you know, help develop individual learning plans for these kids and make sure that they're authentic and that they're working. So we kind of dabble in a whole range of, of bits and pieces and yeah. Sounds brilliant though. Um, to be able to do that and target something that you're passionate about yeah. and be able to focus all your attention on that. Cause I'm sure there's teachers listening to that have the desire to pursue gifted education and, and, you know, diversify for those students that two to 3% that you mentioned uh, or two to three students rather, they just can't dedicate the creativity that you've just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. You teach phonetics through subject matter. Like it has to be a curriculum decision at some point and then they lose control of it completely. Yeah. And if you're not striking while the kid's interested, sometimes you lose it. Like sometimes they go and work, they go and read by themselves or Google stuff by themselves and you come back, you're like, oh, I've got this stuff. And they're like, oh, no, I, I've learned all I need to learn about that. Now I'm done. I need, I'm on to something else. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to not be offended by that stuff too and just be like, okay, cool, great. Let's, um, what are we doing now? Yeah, you kind of just throw the, the papers behind you and like, okay, we're starting fresh. What do we got next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
what are we doing? And that happened to me today. I got a message yesterday from a parent of the student who we'd been looking at serial killers and was like, no, they're done. Like we've just had a meltdown that they can't believe there are so many awful, horrible people in the world that do these things and we just need to stop. And I was like, cool, done, let's move on. So, you know, we had a session today just before I recorded with you and we've we flipped it and we're on a new path now. So well, it's awesome that you're skilled enough to be able to do that too. Like all, oh, look, all these insights. What 20 years does. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So suffice to say, at least at the time of recording, you're currently busy. But if anyone listening is interested, I'll be sure to include the information uh, to connect with you and with Emergence Education in the show notes for this episode. Uh, including any awesome links to those courses you mentioned from UNSW and Monash and any other ones that you can think of. And um, yeah, I guess I I do want to bring you back again, so I don't want to plumb too deep for this one. We'll bring (laughs) you back for another episode, but uh, just we we love finishing off these episodes with one pearl of wisdom for all teachers across the profession, PSTs, ones that have been teaching for 40 years. What's your advice for them? What's the one pearl of wisdom that you'd pass along? Teaching is hard because it's such important work and the ripples, that butterfly effect of what you do today will spread far and wide for years to come. When it's those hard days where you wonder, just remind yourself that that butterfly effect of the impact and and where that, you don't even know where that ends and the wonder and joy of that is just magic. Yeah, beyond the aha moment, the butterfly effect. Yeah, the butterfly effect. Awesome. It's really great, Kintara. It's been great to chat with you. You too. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. And thanks for having me. See you in the next one. Yeah. That was Kintara Phillips from Emergence Education talking about gifted ed in the classroom, her experience from her 20 years in teaching, and some guidance for pre-service teachers looking to complete their practicums very shortly. Remember to check the show notes for any links or information we discussed during the episode or to find out more about how to get in touch with Kintara Phillips. If you enjoyed the episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. More importantly, share it with a colleague, a friend, your teaching network, anyone who you think might be interested to listen. We will be back in about a fortnight with another episode of the Teaching Culture Cast. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you here in a couple of weeks.